Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jarrett Fuller, and this is my podcast about design criticism and practice. This week's episode feels like a long time coming. I am talking to the designer, writer, publisher, and teacher, Stuart Bertolotti Bailey. Stuart, of course, was the co-founder and publisher of Dot Dot Dot. He's a co-founder of the Serving Library and is one half of Dexter Sinister, along with David Reinfurt. He also recently uh, just took a new job as the head of design at the ICA in London. Stuart's name comes up often on this podcast, whether it's talking about the influence of dot 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 or as an example of operating at the edge of graphic design. Uh, I previously interviewed uh, Peter Belock, who was his dot 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 co-founder, and David Reinfurt was one of my very first interviews, so I was really excited to finally get the chance to talk with Stuart. In this conversation, Stuart and I talk about his design education and early design ambitions and how those changed thanks to a somewhat random introduction to Richard Hollis and the work of Carol Martins. We talk about the role of writing in his work and the similarities he sees between design and writing. And we also talk about his new job and what it's like to return to a somewhat traditional graphic design job after almost two decades of operating in various disciplines. We cover a lot in this one, and it's really fun to hear about his early career, which is something that I actually didn't know much about, and pick his brain about things like dot, 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 and the serving library, and all of these projects that have really influenced my own thinking around graphic design. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Stuart Bertolotti Bailey. now it, it seems like um I, I think i kind of was first introduced to you towards the end of of dot 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 and so i've known your work and your career primarily as a as a writer as an editor as a publisher um and less as you know what we would think of as a kind of traditional designer and so i thought an interesting place to start would be a little bit about kind of your background and how you got into all of this uh, mm -hmm. did you study design I did. I studied. I studied typography and graphic communication <clears throat> at the University of Reading, which is a school sort of due west out of London, maybe uh, thirty minutes on the train max. Um, and I sort of. I'm from the north. I'm from. I'm from just south of York, and so that's a good sort of two three hours south. So I was really like leaving home to right. you know go and do an undergraduate course. And and that course at the time, I wouldn't really have known this. One of the things about education that I find weird is that you're, you know, you, you sort of make these decisions to go places, but without any of the sophistication <laughs> or knowledge that you would need to actually make an informed decision, right? Yeah. And everything goes through this to some extent. And, and Reading was really the only university, meaning academic, non-vocational course, in graphic design at that time, which today wouldn't even, there wouldn't be that much of a distinction between sort of old school universities and things that were more like art schools, I guess. Uh, yeah. That distinction isn't as kind of entrenched as it was then. But, <clears throat> um, you know, when, when I was kind of looking through 
university brochures. That was really the only one that sort of popped up as a graphic design course at a university. And and I'm not even sure why why that was such a big deal. It wasn't like I was pressured to go to university or anything, but somehow just by accident, you know, in the in the in the prospectuses yeah. that were in my, you know, local college of universities, that was the one that, that came up. And it sort of looked um perfect for my interest. I I got into graphic design like a lot of people at least back then did through music. Okay. Was you know just the the usual story, um, and um, and and I only applied for that and one other um, fine art course actually uh, somewhere in the north. So I was pretty for whatever reason I was pretty sort of committed to it before I actually even got up. <laughs> yeah. And it turned out that it was it was it was a fantastic course. Still exists in a in a in a sort of debased form um and it isn't there isn't much of a priority with the undergraduate as opposed to postgraduate these these days there's a it has a reputation for book design and type design right uh, specifically but when i was there which is sort of the early 90s it was in the last couple of years of being directed by one of two people who'd founded it in the 60s, I think, um, which was an amazing thing. And it meant that this course had been sort of refined and refined and refined over 20, 30 years to the point where it was super specific um, with an incredible, um, just the sort of weight of its own history and, and having done things in a certain way. It was definitely... Uh, kind of modernist influenced in the sense of you know there's a big distinction between sort of how modernism is conceived in the US and and, and mm. in Europe especially along in design terms um, but it was definitely um, almost a, a socialist idea of, of graphic design and typography mm. specifically meaning um, it was seen as a, a, a sort of socially progressive mm -hmm. uh, uh, thing to do um it was there was a lot of information design and um you know it was user-centered in a sort of old-fashioned sense yeah um, and without without proclaiming itself to be like that right. it was just that was just the ethos of the place and it was a four-year course which is you know pretty much unheard of for an undergraduate course certainly in england these days and it was you know there wasn't any huge fees etc et <laughs> right so it was pretty it was i was pretty much in the last wave of when something like that was possible and uh, generally and pretty much in the last wave of the course in the shape that it had been for the previous interesting 20 30 years and the resources and the teachers and, and the sort of general atmosphere there was incredible. And there, there were things like, in the second and third years, there were t two trips. One, just to give you some idea of the sort of rigor of the place, was one to uh, Rome and Florence to study uh, oh, wow. inscriptional lettering, <laughs> okay. early, early Roman lettering was the focus as well as you know architecture yeah. and all related things and the second one was to northern europe which took in germany and belgium and 
uh, and the Netherlands, which was to study, which was to basically go to, you know, the, the Gutenberg Museum or oh, wow. Anti Moratus <laughs> Museum and sort of hardcore book design, print, the printing press related thing, but also took in, you know, like a a talk at the Stedelijk Museum on Sandberg's posters by Gerardunga, you know, and stuff right. like that. Sort of thing that you just totally took for granted. It was just that thing that, you know, you do in the second or third year. You're on a bus for, you know, 10 yeah. days in this super concentrated way, getting up at six in the morning to go to the market in Rome and then walk around for 12 hours looking at inscription. <laughs> I mean, nuts. And, this, and they've been doing this for, you know, a good 10, 15 years. So just the, the level of... Right. What, teachers were telling you it was you know I've never known anything like it before or since really so that was just to say it was an amazing course it was called typography and graphic communication but it was essentially a graphic design course but the particular thing about it which has been I guess influential was that because it was a university there were lots of exams mm. and writing and written work and we all hated it because we just wanted to make records. Yeah. And we all had to, you know, do essays about, um, you know, historical and theoretical essays and exam questions. And it was taken very seriously, mock exams and all that. So, and a, a, a dissertation really in the shape of a dissertation. Right. I mean, not some, you know, you know, you can make it as a card index for, yeah. you know, for <laughs> something that you're loosely interested in. It was, you know, a sort of, 100-page, whatever, 40,000-word dissertation on something. Oh, wow. So there was definitely this rigor to it yeah. is all I really want to say. And and we all kind of left saying, you know, thank God that's over. I'm never going to write another word in my life. Oh, that's so and, interesting. And and quite a number of us went on to, to actually write quite a, a few right. more words in our lives right and, and i have to say i was in a quote good year and there's lots of people john morgan fraser muggeridge mm. people yeah. working in london at the moment who are fairly high profile and um and definitely all have this you know for better or worse sort of solid reading thing that, yeah you know, can be an achilles heel as much as a, a benefit so i i have two questions that are kind of you know, maybe kind of weird. And one of them's a question that I, I always hate asking people this, but, you know, hearing about this kind of very um, rigorous kind of traditional design education, when you were in school and kind of as you graduated, what were you thinking you wanted to do? Was it making record covers or kind of what was your interest at that time when you were leaving mm. that like, you um, wanted to do? Yeah, I mean, it's only a difficult question because it's hard to remember. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess the, I guess general graphic design, you know, there's definitely <laughs> okay. a bias towards book design there. Okay. And if there was one sort of thing that Reading graduates did, it was to go and work for um, Cambridge University Press or Oxford University Press. Okay. Yeah. That was, I mean, you know, out of a year of whatever it was, 20 people, it wasn't like a lot of people could do that. It would be saturated. But it was a strange time as well because it was like on the cusp of internet, right. basically. And we we did like very, very rudimentary hypertext projects oh, at the end. Email was, was barely there. You know, I remember... Uh, 
you know, one of my sort of colleagues on the course sending emails to his dad, who was an academic, and that, and it was really before that that yeah. happened. Yeah. So it's kind of strange to even think of it in those terms. So I guess I was imagining I would be designing books and printed okay. matter, and it didn't really go much further than that. And I think the the sort of you know, little bits of freelance work that I did pick up in the first months after that were um, were pretty much what I'm doing now. <laughs> leaflets, leaflets for art galleries and, you know, okay. and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and, it, and it took quite a while before any of that gelled you know, right. to, to sort of... To, to in any sort of direction i will say that the, the one thing that happened that was really important to me right at the end probably in the last couple of months at reading which is incredibly fortuitous is that robin kinross the mm. design critic mm-hmm. publisher hyphen press came to do a, he spent an afternoon doing a kind of free form seminar and it was on the back of um an amazing teacher called paul stiff who died a few years ago tragically, and he'd he was like the final year tutor. He'd ask, he'd sort of put a, a sheet of paper on the wall and said, "Anyone that you're interested in trying to come and speak, write them down here, and I'll do my best." And 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 Robin was was one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was fairly shortly after his uh, modern typography. Okay. Wow. Stuff like that, and and he was just quite important for uh, a, a few of us there. And it was around the time that he had just met and written about Carol Martin's work. Okay. And he came and he did this talk that wasn't about Carol, but in retrospect, I think was mm. he was just trying to think through a, a few things. I remember the talk being more about architecture than about graphic design, but it sort of, it sort of, uh, evolved into, uh, some wine glasses and two bottles. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Come to think of it, but he had a box of, of the, the journal that Carol mm. still makes Oasa, which means Oasis. And, uh, you know, we were just kind of handing these out and they were hugely important yeah. to me and just seeing, you know, 10 yeah. of them yeah. and the luxury of, of having that. And there's obviously there's no real way I would have seen those in the, in the right. as it were otherwise. So that was, that was hugely important. So I guess, uh, in my mind's eye, that's the sort of thing I wanted to be doing. Okay. Uh, cultural, Right. Or, yes, I would never have thought of it in as, uh, in those terms, but you know, arts based work and pretty much what I did end up getting into. Yeah. So how I I have I have two questions. I'm trying to kind of figure out the best way. So how how long after you had graduated from Reading did you end up going to? How long was that before work plots? It was quite a long time. What happened was I. After, obviously, it's hard to remember the timings of these things, but I think a, a, a few months after leaving or after the summer, I ended up um, getting a job as an assistant art editor at a weekly architectural journal called The Architects Journal um, in London, uh, in a way, a completely nondescript 
you know, page makeup job. Okay. And, and I really had no sense of what else to do. The curious thing um, that I only realized a number of years later was that there was really no culture of postgraduate study for okay. whatever reason around. It wasn't even on the radar yeah. to go to, you know, the Ammonite or the Rietveld or Yale or whatever. It really wasn't even a question. And I, I think that's particular to the UK at that time. Okay. And I think it has something to do with, you know, island mentality. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't until years later when I was in the Netherlands where that was pretty much a thing that you would at least think about mm -hmm. after finishing an undergraduate course. Um, you know, I didn't even really know the term postgraduate. Or it was, it was kind that's, of that's so interesting. So, um, so some, so the idea of doing something like, I mean, the workplace didn't exist, but even if it had have right. done, I'm pretty sure unless, you know, some, some, uh, auspicious connection through, through, Robin or whatever that, that I wouldn't have known about it, which is actually how it happened in the end. So the sort of obvious thing was to sort of gravitate to London. And, uh, and so I remember applying for a, two or three magazine jobs while doing really little bits and pieces of stuff for galleries and then started this job. And it was in a, you know, open plan office. It was like the office, the TV series. <laughs> Okay. It was completely shocking. I mean, I'm not kidding. And, and I was, I was bowled over by how horrific. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> normal, I guess. But to, to be without any other horizon, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. How do you get from that to you know something like I know Carol exactly what you mean. Whoever are doing. However, so I did that, started that, and I, I ended up staying there for a year and a half, maybe. Anyway, so I was doing that, and um, in the gap between leaving Reading and uh, and moving to London, I'd met Richard Hollis, the mm. design historian and, mm -hmm. and fantastic graphic designer. I'd gone to interview him for my dissertation. <clears throat> um, so this is another reason why dissertations are good for you. <laughs> Yeah. kind of you know gets you out of the house so i've gone to interview him my dissertation was on modernism in britain modernism into britain um and um and he called me up probably after i'd left and and said uh uh did i want was i interested in coming around and helping him do some work as a oh you know, a bit of assistance and basically i found out that it was he just got an apple mac <laughs> wanted me to show him how to use it <laughs> and uh which is i mean it's a little bit of an exaggeration he could already but he definitely blew it. this is I. amazing and um and the funny thing was i was largely interested in richard's work because of it being produced in a very tactile way through right. right what we ended up doing and this was just amazing was was sort of a hybrid of those two things mm -hmm. we would we would sort of typeset on the mac like super early mac and print out sort of galleys make our own galleys of laser printed type and yeah. then paste those up so oh, we sort wow. of cut out the middleman of you know probably what younger designers wouldn't be doing anymore anyway but what richard was used to through the 70s and 80s 
and uh, and sort of yeah do do this kind of weird hybrid and that was incredibly uh, great and influential and and strange and and the, the sort of final piece of the auspicious jigsaw of that situation was that his house and studio was literally two minutes walk from my job oh wow of the architect's journey yeah job, yeah which you know there's no there was pure coincidence so it meant <laughs> that i could go there literally on my lunch hour on many occasions right. and do a bit of work he'd feed me and then i'd go back to work and do my you know pretend to lay out an architectural journal yeah and and then go back and work in the evenings mm-hmm. and and i sort of existed like that for a bit um and and somehow it never really occurred to me even that that was possible to do that in any sort of full-time way, which is strange because I was living at the time with John Morgan. Okay. who's a close friend and great designer and writer. And he, straight out of college, on a similarly lucky thing, ended up working for Derek Birdsell. Oh, yeah. Contemporary of Richard Hollis's. Uh, you know, they were both at the Central School, I think, in the 60s and teaching uh, at the same time and were friends. And John had just like walked, he'd like literally gone to see Derek on the day his former assistant was leaving. Of and course. he ended the day with a job, you know. And, and uh, John's a bit like that, even more than and, um And so he was doing that and had this, you know, fantastic job doing amazing you know, book design and things as, as sort of Derek's right-hand man and stayed there for a number of years. And so I was doing this sort of low-rent version of that with Richard. And the ways in which we were doing that were also very in line with the difference between Derek's character and and situation and Richard's yeah. in that Derek was always, you know, he always had a giant studio and like very um, rich clients and Yale University Press and was very glamorous in a, in a way. Yeah. And, and Richard was just like in his basement. <laughs> right. You know, thing about with wax glue and just randomly right. you know, accepting bits and pieces of work. So it was a, it was a funny time. And so that's, that's what, you know, made the day job bearable and why I kind of lasted there uh, so long, meaning a year and a half. <laughs> Uh, was because of this parallel existence, right? Really. I mean, I guess that's kind of kind of w- where I was getting at, or kind of what my question was, because it's so yeah. interesting to me to hear about this kind of early part of your career, which sounds very kind of traditional graphic design, very rigorous, very you know, kind of the modernist mm-hmm. tradition, and then so much of your career, I feel like the the kind of when I was introduced to your work is so outside of that world. Mm-hmm. And um, even dot dot dot, I, I I think this was an interview with you and and Peter, you and David talking about kind of questioning, you know, is if we put an article that's an essay that's not about graphic design in this, mm. does it make it not a graphic design magazine? And that that was mm. something that you didn't really care about, and that you were just going to kind of put what you wanted. And so I'm kind of, what was the switch, or how did that that kind of expanding your interests where did that come in i think that was that was largely the fault of paul element okay to be honest so obviously there's these (laughs) 
this kind of multiple patriarchy of, of uh, you know, and it was a bit like that. You know, it was Carol and Robin yeah. and Richard, and they're all in different ways, uh, but sort of from the same stable somehow. Certainly, a kind of lineage I felt attached to or wanted to be attached to they're all sort of coming from the same direction and um okay let me try and do this really quickly so from that situation with the with the sort of schizophrenic richard hollis architects journal thing after a year or so at that job the day job i was so freaked out by that office situation and especially the fact that everyone who worked there complained the whole time about working there and never did anything about it. Right. And I could just, I just had this thing where it's like, if I don't get out now, I'm just going to get trapped. Right. And so I started talking and thinking about going to quote the other side of the world. And what seems now remarkable to me is I didn't know anybody else outside England or have any other connection oh, to interesting. that I can think of. And I said this at some point to my dad and my dad said, Oh, you should go and stay with my friend, Tim. It turned out his, his friend, he hadn't seen for 10 years. <laughs> he studied architecture with, um, you know, when back in the, sixties uh, and or fifties and was now living in Singapore and, you know, he sent him a Christmas card once a, once right. a year, once a year. And, um, and he said, oh, you should get in touch with Tim. He's on the other side of the world. <laughs> Probably being sarcastic. And I did. And this guy was like, yeah, sure, come and stay. So I just, I literally just dropped everything, you know, resigned and, and went at the start of 97, so 20 years ago, literally on you know the 2nd of January or something it was like it was Christmas and then I left and I was really going there not thinking I would necessarily come back or not for a while I wasn't interested in traveling I wasn't a backpacker I just <laughs> want to go and work somewhere else and do something that wasn't that office thing so I got there uh, very long story short this guy himself was going through <laughs> work crisis and left to go and live on the beach in Bali within about three weeks of my arriving, which in a way was a good thing because it forced me to get a job. And I did get a job in a design studio, in a small design studio called Wordmaker. Okay. And it was absolutely horrible, as bad as the London job, simply because the only thing that exists existed uh, in Singapore was banks, really, you know, mm. shops, banks. Yeah. Uh, or shopping malls and 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 basically the you know the, the sort of uh, company offices of large banks. So the only work there is really annual reports for banks. I'm not kidding. I mean, <laughs> the few very few design studios that were there, that's what they were doing, and so that's what I was doing: annual reports for banks. So <laughs> obviously not that much better than doing weekly layout for uh, uh, an architect's journal. Um, but very different context, very nice bunch of people that I worked with, which mm -hmm. was very lucky, who were quite international. And I lasted that out for about nine months. And then I, I mean, it was pretty horrible. I was, I was very lonely and it was despite that studio. And uh, I sort of gave up at some point, went to Australia for a month and landed in London. So at the end of 97, and I was, 
I think the order in which this happened was I went back to do a bit of freelancing at the Architects Journal because I had no more work or whatever. Right. And during that time, I think Robin must have sent me a prospectus for the Verkplatz. So that's okay. when the photography wasn't even in existence yet. Right. I went to, there was something like I had a couple of months before the end of the year and I was just like, basically, I'm just going to take the rest of the year off which wasn't hard because I had nothing to do. Um, and I went to to visit Carol, which I think I'd done already once. And I went to visit him in the building that would become the school. Okay. Of yeah. And so he was telling me, you know, about the plans before it was even in existence. And all that existed was that prospectus and an empty building. And it was going to be another nine months before right, the first right. year. So that happened. And then I came to the US for the first time to visit one of the uh, one of my uh, colleagues on the typography course called Simon Daniels, who'd, who okay. was the, the, the person who was most involved and interested in digital media. And he'd gone to work for Microsoft. And I, okay. I think he's there, actually. So he was in Seattle. So two or three of us went to visit him, and I did a kind of cross-country uh, on my on Amtrak trip and ended up at Yale from okay. Seattle. Right. And that's when I met Paul. Okay. And Paul was then professor in graphic design at Yale, and I didn't know who Paul was. The reason I went to see him was because I was trying to write something about chance in design okay. so i must have been really bored to have you know w within whatever a year leaving reading and said i'm never going to write again yeah i was obviously sort of interesting enough to have this idea to write a thing about chance in design yeah not sure who for but um yeah i probably i probably thought it would be for i magazine or something <laughs> and it turned out that i wasn't really it wasn't really chance per se i was interested in it was systems mm. it was it was basically the sort of thing that carol does that was <laughs> in terms right. of creating patterns that are based on uh some sort of system to do with color or you know, mm -hmm. numbers or music or whatever and i was trying to to bring together a number of things that i didn't know very much about uh into a piece of writing and and the name that kept cropping up when I would talk about this with people was Paul. Okay. So all this stuff is, is coincidence, as you can tell. Yeah. It's sort of even even now, it still it's, it seems very freaky to me. And what this I, is crazy. What I gradually realized, and it took me a while to to sort of see this, is as as I'm describing it to you now, all the stuff that was happening was chance. Yeah. In a yeah. very pointed way. And so I ended up quite a few months later turning that as a sort of travelogue in a way mm. into a piece, which isn't particularly interesting, but was but did get published in Emigre, strangely. Okay. So that was sort of kind of parallel parking back into writing somehow through that okay. whole strange experience. Anyway, all that is just to get to saying, and then I discovered Paul and and who became incredibly influential. Um, uh, I wouldn't say necessarily on me as a graphic designer, but certainly on dot, 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 and approaching yeah. things that 
weren't just sort of entrenched in the scene of graphic design, but connected to the world yeah. in, in obvious ways. That was the thing. Well, and it seems like kind of when when you did kind of figure that out, because um, I was I was kind of curious of kind of where the writing came back. And so now this is all starting to piece together. But it seems like once you figured that out and once you met Paul and then went to work plots that you didn't have a desire anymore to kind of work in that traditional design context. And it's it, at least from the outside looking at your career, it seems like, you know, at least, you know, until now where it's kind of you have a, a real design job again, I'll, the last 20 years have been you doing these things that are very independent, uh, independently driven and less commercial. Would you, would you agree with that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But always totally by accident and yeah. never with any master plan. Yeah. And, and it's true enough what you just said, like in the last six months when I started working at the ICA, it's the first time I've really had a proper job. You yeah. Know? And it, I, 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 I like that. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm coming at that through the back door right. of having done these other things in publishing and working with David, Dexter Sinister, and, and sort of operating in these odd um, contemporary art contexts yeah. and things, and and sort of coming back to uh, a sort of straight graphic design or straightforward graphic design. Um, it's far more interesting having having come to having come back to it yeah. through having done all this other stuff rather than just having done that in the first place. Yeah, I mean, so this I I love that, and I feel like this is so much of kind of what I talk about with people on this podcast, and so much about kind of what I'm trying to figure out in my own work. Do you think I, I'm interested in how you think about publishing, writing, all of these other things now that you're back? in kind of a real design job, do you think about design differently? You know, or do, do you think about this job differently now because of dot, 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 because of what you're doing with the serving library, all of these kind of other things you've been doing? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say if... It's hard to imagine if I would have right. thought about it any different, if I would be doing it any differently now to, you know, if, if I'd have been doing it 20 years ago or if I'd done more straight graphic design all the way through. Is that true? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, I mean, to be honest, the, I mean, the new thing, the ICA thing is so recent. Yeah. I I haven't got enough of a handle on it to right. even give a good answer about that because I'm, um, um, in in a certain way, I'm approaching it or trying to approach it. I'm, so basically, I'm the head of design at the ICA, which means I'm I'm the in-house designer. It's what interests me about it is the in-house aspect, mm -hmm. which these days is pretty unusual. Yeah, certainly for a, a an institution of that size, by which I mean fairly small. You know, so at the Tate yeah. or, or, of course, or the Whitney, of course, they have in-house in right. designs. But for someone like the ICA, it would be far more typical to sort of outsource to a studio. Right. And indeed, that's what they've been doing for years. Um, and so the sort of integrated, integral aspect of being there in-house is seems like a return to something that I agree with. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It implies, you know, a sort of commitment and a holistic um, sense of, of designing all aspects of the institution. But of course, you can't go back to something. It has to be right. a new. You have to make that idea new. That's why I did it, basically, because oh, that's, again, uh, with, without recent precedent, therefore, you know, you've got yeah. nothing to base it on. Um, except other people's ideas, which are usually not very, I mean, other people's ideas of what that role should be, which are usually not very helpful. So what I'm trying, what I'm battling with at the moment is having never worked for an institution, trying to resist becoming institutionalized. Right. Um, you know, and, and sort of thinking, oh, we can't possibly do that because of X, Y, and Z, which I do already. Um, and, and trying to use the benefit of, of the, the lack of a conventional graphic design practice and being involved in writing and publishing and bring that to bear on what we mm-hmm. might do in a more interesting way. And of course, well, I don't know how much you know about the ICA, but the, the legacy of the ICA is, you know, as a radical art institution, the yeah. playground of the avant-garde. So if there's anywhere that might, you know, allow yeah. that to yeah, happen, yeah. at least, in terms of its legacy, it's it's there. In agreeing to do it, I mean, in taking the job, I uh, I, I basically said I'll only do it if I can if I can do it at least the website with David. Okay. Yeah. Um, as a kind of Dexter Sinister thing, which really meant doing the all of it with David. It's just you know, in the sense that he's a sort of constant sounding board. Although I'm I'm the one who's really responsible for everything. Right. And without that. Um, I don't think I could have uh, really hoped to uh, bring some of the the uh, the sort of exploded, expanded sense of graphic design and the contemporary art stuff to bear in such. Uh, uh, oh, that's an interesting. And and that is partly because he's not there. Right. He's the. Hopefully, this will continue that he's the one that's that's stopping me just becoming institutionalized in the in the in the negative <laughs> sense right because because he's he's just like what are you talking about of course we can do that or we can at least suggest that or, and so that that seems to me uh, necessary for the health of that situation yeah i mean so th- this is interesting to me because i had read an interview that you had done uh the John Sueda interviewed you on Speak Up. I think this is like 12, 13 years ago now. And mm. you, you said something, and you know, I'm sorry to kind of quote back something you said a decade ago, but um, where, where you were kind of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but you were kind of up against the term graphic design and what graphic design has come to represent is not what you were interested in anymore. Um, mm. And that really resonates with me and in conversations that I have with people and actually David and I talked about this when I talked to him of how valuable is that term graphic design anymore, especially in, you know, 2017 when it can mean all of these different things. Mm. And as someone who has worked really on the edges of that for so long, now being in an institution does that something that you still feel like, or has your relationship with that word graphic design changed at all? I, th- I think what I was, what I was getting at then when I, when I 
said that was was much more to do with what it means to other people mm. and how that and how that can be um, limiting and and the idea of of graphic design was you know become so yeah ubiquitous because of, you know all the desktop publishing and you know everyone knows what fonts are and everyone has you know a mm-hmm. fonts on their laptop or whatever the um the graphic design i think had become in the minds of a lot of people who might be on the fringes of it or commissioning you indeed mm-hmm. uh the the tail end of a process this is what i would have the sort right, of thing right. I would say, right where you're really just uh, prettifying something yes yeah, yeah. Or, or it can be more you know more progressive than that it can be information design or infographics or whatever that aren't just about selling things or, but you're not involved in what i would call designing which is uh, you know sort of thinking through yeah yeah problems yeah. isn't necessarily the right term but thinking through material and how to articulate it from uh from a from a part in the from a stage in the process where um you can still affect fundamentally how it's going to come across one way or another to an audience rather than just making it green mm-hmm, or blue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or universal helvetica or time right or right and and it had seemed to have become that reductive version in the minds of a lot of people who might have recourse to use the term. And now it's like, I don't mind being a graphic. In fact, I, I chose my own job title at the ICA. Oh. I mean, Stefan, the director, at some point, I got a text. He was like, what do you want to be called? What do you want to be called <laughs> on your contract? Yeah. Uh, and I just, I said, uh, head of design. And it could have been something, you know, far more expansive yeah, or complicated. And that was partly just because I was like, yeah, that's what that job would have been in the 50s or 60s and that's so interesting and i'd rather do that and it be and then sort of try and reinvent or Mm re-expand what what design meant Mm -hmm. rather than it becoming something like head of communications outreach yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah I love and curiously that. enough, there, a couple of months after me, there is someone who works alongside me who is head of communications. And, uh, and so there's a distinction there between design and communications, which effectively suggests that, that, um, that I'm responsible for, indeed, the surface. Right. Of Interesting of things um and so this job involves you know everything from stationary internal documents building signage exhibition design to some degree uh the website yeah uh, email announcement you know everything that anyone would see but um definitely uh i and everybody else has a vested interest in me being involved in the tone of voice right. you know, of the place or how, you know, are, are things on the website written in paragraphs with, you know, links within the sentences or are they lists yeah. or drop menus? Yeah. Or, and, and this is the, the big advantage and difficulty in many ways of being integrally involved from the beginning yeah. rather than just being told by somebody 
this is what we're doing. Right. Make it red or blue or universal Helvetica. Um, it's a huge responsibility and is is definitely um, um, the the fact of being able to do that or or wanting to do that or knowing that that is a good thing to do and be involved in certainly has to come from having done that through publishing and right, editing right. for the last twenty years and and Stefan the director who who I've worked with before when he was at artist space and me and david made again a sort of oh yeah suspicious piece of work called identity which yeah. is about institutional identity right. so the weird thing about the 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 ica thing is that it's an opportunity to sort of put some of the let's say theoretical in a kind of speculative contemporary art sense things that came out of that yeah film if that's what it was animation into actual practice that's so interesting through an actual contemporary art institution with as it happens the person who commissioned that thing in the first place yeah six years later that's really what you just said was interesting to me because you sent me the 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 first kind of website that you did with david for the ica and i was struck Mm -hmm. by how it was very ica but also very dexter sinister uh and i mean that as a as a compliment that you as a as a designer, your voice was a part of that. It was not you kind of being institutionalized. Um, and so not what yet. you're talking about, I, <laughs> I see that already. Watch this space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Might go downhill very quickly. Uh, right. and, I, and I really do, you know, joking apart, I mean, I'm not sure how, yeah. if, if we're going to be able to sort of maintain that or how that will come across once it really has to do the proper job of, all the things the ICA website has to do. One of the things that makes the ICA specific and a, a huge challenge is that, at least in the UK, there's nowhere else like it in the sense of how many different types of activities it does, mm-hmm. particularly because it's a fully functioning cinema, meaning it has six or seven films a day, oh, apart wow. from Mondays when the building's shut, as well as a bookstore, a uh, restaurant, cafe, a theatre, music events, live events, and exhibition spaces, and it does stuff like venue hire. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, to just to give you some idea, one of the, one of the other things wow. I'm tasked with is doing hires brochures to rent out spaces for wedding. Oh, wow. You know? So it's it's from that <laughs> sort of... That's so interesting. Like super kind of commercial thing yeah. um, to, uh, to far more... Uh, experimental things that we might end up doing with the website or certain yeah. spin-off projects from that. Are you doing kind of any writing outside of, of now your day job or do you have any desire to go back to that kind of work? Um, not particularly. I mean, I've, okay. I've sort of, I've never really, I've never really thought of myself as a writer. And if, and if I if oh, I have done bits and pieces of writing, and when I do, actually, they're usually longer than shorter, as you probably know. I have yeah. a hard time editing myself. Um, they they usually grow out of uh, some other situation, like a seminar or a talk, mm-hmm. that I then convert into a piece, almost to trick myself into doing it. Oh, you know, right. I, used to, I used to talk about doing that when we were doing dot 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 in the early years a lot is like tricking people who aren't used to writing into writing oh, I um, love that. by just you know telling them to write it in an email or something like that um and 
and I have to do that with myself still. And, um, um, and I, I did a PhD a few years ago and I've not, in- I've started reading it. There's yeah, a PDF good, good, good online. Done. I haven't yeah. finished it yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I barely finished it. Myself. <laughs> um, and, and that was a, a you know, torturous thing, very luxurious thing to complain about, but I didn't have a nice time doing it, but it's, it's become a, an incredibly useful resource for me, partly because I often cut, chop it up and give mm. bits and pieces to students. And it's just a very good bank of things to have. Yeah. As, as if you start looking at it, you'll know it's, it's sort of half of it are just documents yeah. or projects that me and David have done anyway, that usually involve uh, a lot of writing right. in many right. different yeah. forms. And it took me a stupidly long time to realize that that could be the backbone of the PhD as a whole. And it could essentially be a container for all those other bits and pieces of writing right. with me sort of joining them together with a kind of glue yeah. text. So again, I sort of tricked myself into doing it. And, and once that became apparent, I, I could get somewhere with it. Um, but even that, I mean, it's, you know, probably hundreds of thousands of words yeah part because it contains all these other many thousands of words that existed beforehand and i don't i don't think of myself as having written it so <laughs> right. i don't yeah it, it just sort of happened and so no i i mean david does you know david can sit down and write an essay about yeah. something uh like what minari the, yeah. the ones he recently or you know uh, the book on a million random digits or whatever. Right. He, he could do that. I can't do that. Oh, that's I interesting. I don't have the mind to be sort of interested in a subject in an obvious way and then just sit down and string together uh, an oh. argument. I can, I'm, I'm, much more, I'm much better at writing together with David. We have, we have quite a good facility for doing that, which seems quite special. Um, but... There are things, and there's, there's one that happened very recently, where, again, I still sort of trick myself into writing. So often there's some kind of mundane-seeming task um, that uh, that we or I kind of manage to flip into it being productive mm-hmm. than just being mundane or prosaic. So, for instance, recently... Um, we've, as we periodically do, changed the format of the journal, which right. is now the Serving Library Annual. It's suddenly bigger, it's sort of on steroids, it's once a year and twice a year for the first time. And that required some sort of announcement uh, specifically for our subscribers right. uh, that would say, uh, basically, if you paid for a two-year subscription, rather than get four issues, you're now only going to get two. <laughs> With and, and we'd have to make a good case for why that yeah, is. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's probably not a very uh, legally <laughs> binding. <laughs> and anyone that argues, whoever's listening to this, could uh, if they just say, "Well, I'm not accepting that." Seventy-four issues. We'll probably say, "All right." <laughs> um, but certainly for you know libraries and institutions that have subscriptions as much as anything, because they support us or want to support us, yeah, uh, rather than individuals, it was necessary to do that. And it's the sort of 
text that we end up doing many of these things you know email announcement paragraphs right, right. bio you know little bios the sort of stuff that's really like the bane of existence yeah. of this sort of thing because they should be easy they should right. take 10 yeah. minutes yeah. inevitably they take longer than any other thing we're trying to do and so i already had a kind of fear of this you know paragraph to the subscribers and then <laughs> i got invited to contribute to a book series by a publisher called open editions mm, yeah run by a guy called david blamey that i met doing external examining at the royal college last year and the next one was was on is on distribution mm. and uh, and he invited me to, if i was interested in writing a piece and so i thought oh i'll i'll do this subscribers yeah. as the piece for the book and it's often like those little things that's that, interesting yeah that, that make make the interest make things interesting for me anyway and it often actually i'd never quite thought this clearly but it's often when they do serve more than one purpose right because it gives you a a, a shape or a you know um or a tone of voice that yeah. might be a bit out of the ordinary um and i think what characterized a lot of Dot, dot, dot's writing and how it was edited um, and you know still does to some extent with with uh, serving library stuff is um, a, a sort of unusual um, things done with the form of writing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, are, that are usually for want of a better word structural or architectural yeah. which might be like numbering paragraphs yeah yeah or, or you know or writing it backwards yeah yeah <laughs> or starting with the last part you know it's just some some strange scaffolding i, I always used to talk about in terms of scaffold yeah. where you sort of have this conceit yeah that, that gets you the is the impetus for doing it because it's yeah. a bit unusual and it may well fall away and you don't need it by the end right it might just you know serve a purpose like a rabbit in greyhound racing yeah or, or a decoy or uh, it may well remain at the end. That's so interesting. I mean, because that's that's one of the biggest things that I love about dot 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 is not just the content and what you're saying, but how the writing is structured. And I always think of um, uh, Rob G and Petro's pieces in dot yeah. dot dot. I love everything that he does, yeah. but I think the stuff that he did for you is some of his most formally interesting. Yeah, writing it's just so yeah. different than his kind of usual and, and people love it you know it's like we we spend yeah. a lot of time going back and forward with writers yeah not in a kind of you know annoying editorial imposition kind of way but just to develop something and make it more uh um, interesting or, or yeah. sort of uh, um compulsive somehow yeah. and and for the most part, people really appreciate that. Yeah. You know, there's 5% of people who get upset about it. Right. And, um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's where the design aspect mm -hmm. still exists in the writing mm -hmm. for me. I think that structural thing yeah. is, is looking at writing and, and almost visually. Yeah. Writing totally. It. I get it. Yeah. And, and David, when David and I started writing together, when we first started Dexter Sinister, and we were, you know, making little text that explained the basement space, or we did this right. funny text called um, 
we would like to share some thoughts on the school badge for the manifesto oh, thing yeah. we started. Like we literally sat down and wrote it together at a screen, which, as I say, is quite a, a kind of unusual yeah. thing to be able to do. And we we sit there and and say things like, um, you know, I have the feeling that this that the piece before we'd even start should be eight paragraphs. Mm. You know, or it has to all fit on a page. Yeah. Or half of it should be quotes. You know, just just stuff right. that doesn't really make sense until you've written it. But there's this sort of visual editing. Yeah. Yeah. That you that you're doing in the abstract. Bec- I think because of that sort of you know design. Right. Specific skill of iterating. Right? Yeah. Ske- you know, that's the yeah. that's the posh word for it, of of sketching in the abstract i love that um and i think that's what makes made the ryan dot 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 particular and it absolutely still happens with bulletins it just in bulletins it doesn't have a visual component right, right. because it just gets poured into that yeah natural format but if you read it it's still absolutely yeah totally I'm, I'm very curious you know especially for you in the position that you've the, the various positions you've been in in the design world today you know 2017 2018 what are the the issues or topics or subjects that designers should be talking about right now or what are the you know what are the things design writers you would want to see more people writing about or the issues kind of facing the the profession or the discourse or, or the practice today that is a hard question that's why i save this one for the end yeah god i mean you know it's hard not to reflexively answer that that you know with some sort of um some sort of political address that, that um i'm not sure what that would be in design terms i um always i've never really um read or taken much notice of yeah. other uh design writing or art writing really or writing in general i mean i'm much more like a fiction reader you know than okay. non-fiction reader okay. yeah and actually that's another funny left right dexter sinister distinction between me and david and we often kind of joke about that as well I, you know he only reads non-fiction you know he'll read a maths textbook right, right. and i pretty much only read okay. uh fiction this is With great because my my next it, question was going to be what do you read or what do you yeah. like to read so this is perfect yeah so but in terms of you know design journals design writing uh i just i never really have apart from when i was a student then I was really very much yeah, interested, yeah. and you know, as I said, I would on my lunch hour, I would I would be at the design bookshelves, and that fell away quite quickly after sort of starting the workplace or something. Oh, maybe just because I was starting my own uh, thing in terms of writing and editing, uh, and that sort of replaced mm-hmm. the need for that. Because of course, I am reading right. the people whose text we're yeah. commissioning or working yeah. on. And 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 for me, it's almost, I guess it's almost like the energy that that takes sort of stops me. That makes you know, sense. Having the the sort of capacity for <laughs> for anything else. And another exception was when I was doing the PhD. I did I did oh, force right. myself in a way to read 
uh, a lot more, although that was sort of more art theory and philosophy and sociology a little bit. Um, really, really rudimentary mm-hmm. things, and even then, not many things. Um, so that's partly why I find that question difficult to answer. I, I think, uh, I, I, I still, I still sort of believe and and feel like uh, I'm part of. I would like to be part of some. Uh, social impulse Mm -hmm. in design and of course making the things that we do whether it's the journal or the space that we have in Liverpool and and bits and pieces of teaching is our you know trying to make people think and trying to make people you know consider ethical things right um but they're they're usually you know at a fairly abstracted level rather than directed towards Mm -hmm. particular you know social political causes and i think then they're they're no less valid for that um but in in days like these it's it's definitely yeah the case that um that you feel like there has to be something that is far more direct whether it's us or other people doing that and 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 we talk about that among ourselves editorially quite a lot. And the new issue is 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 a kind of a step more obviously capital P political than mm-hmm. we ever have. Um, so I guess what am I flailing to say here? You know, I the the sorts of things that I ended up talking with the last time I had a design specific teaching job, which was actually at Otis in LA. Mm. And I had, I had a kind of lovely sort of bunch of students uh, and we were sort of doing design, write, writing about design issues. And this is the last time I, I really sort of thought about this um, in a focused way. And one of the things, just a tiny little, that we did once was, to, I, I said, for next week's class, I want you to all bring, <laughs> bring in a bag, five websites um that you appreciate for their design and i was careful to say by that i don't i emphatically don't mean how they look i mean how they work Mm. and 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 so they all you know brought their selections and it was very interesting and telling that they were all the ones that they brought 90 percent of them were all very common super ubiquitous Oh, interesting. Like Wikipedia or Craigslist or Reddit or, uh, you know, sort of like the top 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that was really interesting, especially because it was designers doing that. And I I still haven't quite passed what what that means or why it seems significant to me. But the idea that probably why those websites register as well-made things is because they've probably been touched by many many people rather than a single designer yeah and i'm presuming there's a an awful lot of user feedback that directly feeds back Mm, into mm -hmm. into immediate changes or let's say relatively immediate changes and to me that the sort of community and sort of 
ethical aspect of that, the communal aspect of that, seems well worth thinking about and possibly writing about. Yeah, yeah. And that is and interesting. I, and I'm curious. And and it's it's one of the things that would I, I mean I, I've sort of said this in other places before. It's like if I was setting up a design school, which I'm not <laughs> uh, today. I think programming would be one of the fundamental things that I teach. And of course there are places that yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's absolutely right because it's, it's, it's the a Reading, one of the other great things is we had an in-house printing department that oh. was deliberately set up so that you would be on the press yeah. all the time. And yeah. we would do real jobs for the university and surrounding, you know, uh, institutions and, and individuals. And we would see the thing through from the beginning, you know, we'd literally mm -hmm. be, on the machine oh, that's great and obviously the equivalent of that in digital media is to be in the yeah the engine room of right. mm -hmm. of where the coding is happening so i think i think an emphasis from design as surface and as uh, that that sort of designer aspect of design right mm -hmm. the surface aspect yeah. of design just seems it's everywhere yep yeah, yeah, yeah. Can do it. it's not that interesting yeah it's to to be a designer in that sense all you have to do is look about and yes. either copy stuff or you know or advanced stuff it doesn't seem that difficult to yeah. me but yep. the difficult stuff seems to be more um genuinely making things easy to use yeah and still being interesting yeah and and one thing i was reminded about um, with this book that I said just came out on Richard Hollis's work is that he always talks about graphic design as being social work. Mm. It's not being funny. I mean, he, he, yeah, as a form of social work. Yeah. And that book, he explicitly says, you know, it's, it's like the thing that you're making fundamentally first has to work in a really blatant way. You know, you have to be able to read the title. You have to know what you're clicking yeah. on. You have to get yeah. things in order. You know, the the first sentence of the paragraph has to make sense uh, in terms of it coming before the second one. Stuff that you'll be surprised that students can't do in a <laughs> fundamental way. Yeah. Write a paragraph that makes sense. And I think without that sort of fundamental skill and sacrificing that for the sort of uh, uh, personal project that's to do with the fact that you mm -hmm. are interested in bird sounds and you're going to uh, <laughs> okay. and you, you're going to make a book about it, you know a chap book about but you know that sort of design project i think if if fine I'm in, I'm all for people being in, interested and involved in, in in what they're doing, but I think it's often at the expense of really fundamental That's, yeah. skills. And I I guess you know now on the soapbox, I think any teaching or writing, I don't know how it would be done in an interesting way, but but would be sort of getting back to I love that a, a priority mm -hmm. of things working what and what richard says in the book is is like fundamentally it's got to just function yeah in a really basic way whatever it is and then by all means you can sort of add anything yeah. is is uh, delightful or 
entertaining or or uh, the kind of surplus mm-hmm. which might be stylistic or you know whatever um but it has to be in that order right or or there has to be no distinction where where one's where the where the where the the, the kind of more interesting in a graphic design sense aspect is outweighing the fact of it just doesn't work yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> and so what i'm curious about with something like this ica website is how much i can take that sort of high-minded opinion and try and make something that of course me and david want to make something absolutely specific and great and weird and yeah. and, and 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 propulsive somehow but that also has to answer to all these different things, departments that the ICA has, mm-hmm. and all the, you know, huge uh, potential audience uh, and different audiences that are going to have right. to use it, and sort of how to answer to all of that in a way that I'm talking about with Wikipedia or whatever, yeah, as a model, um, without it being done purely because it's conventional right yeah right so it's yeah. so that's so, it's so not, interesting so how to go against so how not to go against the convention conventions for the sake of you know a sort of father killing yeah like just going to do something different for the sake of being different yeah. versus um versus something being specific and uh, workable, answerable. I mean, answerable is, is there was a, that word answerable was in that prospectus for the workplace that I mm. came across on coming back from Singapore that led to me going to the workplace. It was originally written in Dutch by Carolyn Wiggerbeam, wow. who he started the school with, and it's translated into English by Robin. And that's the word I always remember is uh, is them uh, yeah. saying the school was set up to make work. That was, ba- that, was, that was based on real work rather than fictional projects, which it isn't anymore. Um, but that was very much the idea um, because it's only in actual real material that work can be answerable. I Meaning love that. it's answerable in the sense that you don't have to stand behind pointing at what's good about it. It right. speaks for itself. It's answerable for itself. Yeah. I think... Uh, a sort of a design writing or education would be uh, would benefit from some sort of return to that or making new of that. That's great. I love that. That that is such a. Uh, I, I love that word answerable. I've never kind of heard design defined that way or good design defined that way. And I think there's something really interesting about that. Actually, yeah. um, my last question, which yeah. um, is hopefully a kind of quick question you've kind of started answering it throughout this whole conversation i'm very interested in the the writers the authors you know the 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 books that have really influenced you the way you think about these things that you you know if you were kind of making a reading list who would who would be on it um well as you probably know if you've read stuff that i've written in the last five ten years i'm a huge david foster wallace fan yeah i think in a way discovering uh, discovering his writing was was almost like a re-entry to design somehow because in 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 a, in a way what I just said before about um, 
what characterizes a lot of the writing that we've been involved in commissioning and writing ourselves is I don't think of it necessarily as experimental um, at all, um, but is often structurally unusual or yeah, yeah, yeah. eccentric. Um, and as I say, often just for the, for the sort of, uh, to put a firework under the, under the writing and to doing it in the first place. And, and obviously, um, Foster Wallace is, uh, is in yeah. a sort of structurally is, uh, beyond compare and just that facility of, you know, self-reflection to the nth degree, mm-hmm. yeah. a, sickening, a sickening sense of self-reflexivity, which of course <laughs> dot, dot, dot was kind of marked by. Yeah. And then on reading him, it's like, oh, we were nothing compared to this. <laughs> right. you know, but just, just the, the, the kind of sheer uh, capacity for the sort of thinking that he did. It's yeah. Like, it was yeah. just a huge, huge influence. Of course, it's it's sort of almost passe at this point to sort of, to, to kind of cite him in those terms. But I, uh, for me, it was that, that was the big thing from the last 10 years. And so I could, of my, of my reading list of 10, there would be, you know, 10. Okay. But I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you one. I'll, I'll okay. sort of recommend one for anyone who, li- who is listening to this, which is, which is something that we republished okay. as a bulletin. No idea how we got the rights. We actually officially got the rights to, to do this. And I don't know if you come across it on the website, but it's a piece called uh, something like the Anthology of Pro- Prose oh, Poetry. Oh, yeah. I remember and this. Amazing piece. And I mean, I, I feel like now I just want to teach a class only about that. <laughs> so basically the story was he, he was asked to do a book review right. of this uh, anthology of prose poetry, right? Super rarefied. Yeah very contemporary, very American sort of, you know, sub, sub, sub literary genre. And he was obviously not impressed with (laughs) both the premise of that sub, sub, sub genre in the first place and the sort of conceit and nepotism of this publication. Um, (laughs) The best of the the best of the prose. Anyway, so it's an anthology of a journal and, you know, of which probably 14 people yeah. read, you know, which is, which is, uh, <laughs> and he just, he just, what he does is he's only given a certain number of words for this right. book review, let's say a thousand words. So he concocts this system to be able to say as much as he can in a ruthlessly sarcastic sardonic way that of course at the same time him being him makes absolutely serious points that have nothing to do with literature whatsoever but are also political in some way um by um by setting up a question and answer format yeah where it says something like uh number of pages in anthology oh right yeah yeah and then it's you know 256 whereby he justifies the fact that any of the any of the words before the colon don't (laughs) as his word count yeah and also numbers don't count because they're not words they're not letters so they don't count as words 
So, and it's, it's hilarious and an absolute virtuoso thing. Yes. And I read it, in, it's in one of the anthologies of, of nonfiction, and I thought it was amazing. And then, but what you've got to do is seek out the original oh. scan, because what they did when they published it in whatever the journal was that commissioned it, is it was so many words, but yeah. they only had the regular space that they would allow as magazines work, that they had to shrink the type size to like four point type. Oh, that's amazing. So visually, it's hilarious. And what I love about it is you, you see the idea immediately. Yeah. And that's why, that's why it seems to me like a really useful uh, example of something to talk about with graphic design students because it looks like what it is yeah. immediately. And, um, and um, it was almost like uh, a sort of the Rosetta Stone of a dot, dot, dot piece. Yeah. <laughs> that I never knew about right. for the whole uh, existence of dot dot dot. I was probably only written about ten years after I started anyway. So that was so he was a, a return to to sort of thinking that yeah. through. I I'm, yeah. As soon as you said that, I totally I totally see that influence. I'm actually kind of surprised that he hasn't come up in any of these other conversations that I've had with people for the podcast. Right. So I'm glad we yeah. finally got him. Yeah, got him on. And here. The, I mean, the other people that are just the people that I've written things about in yeah. dot 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 or whatever. So Salinger is still a huge, oh, right. my I mean, really obvious sort yeah. of people, and not B.S. Johnson, British writer who who uh, I've written about a bit as well. Like I like I said at the beginning, I've been kind of following your work for for years now. So I'm so glad that we got to do this. So thank you so much for uh, for talking with me. You're welcome. This episode was recorded on December 10th, 2017. Our theme music is by Andy Borgasani. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Surface Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and at scratchingthesurface.fm. Thanks for listening.